Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. I hope everyone's having a great new year. We've been having a ton of crazy storms across the country uh, past couple weeks. Cold and snow and rain and all sorts of stuff. So with huge amounts of, uh, of weather and heavy rains even on the West Coast, we're going to talk a little bit about go and no-go situations today. We're lucky enough that Southern California is, is uh, only some moderate rain usually, but we're grateful that we've had enough time to get some flight training in between some storms. One of the questions people keep asking is, is it okay to fly right now or can we go flying? Or should we go flying is probably the better question to ask. We're going to talk about quite a few items today, but they're in no means a complete list. If you think you shouldn't go flying, please don't go. Um, or ask your local CFI uh, for some help first. Yeah, it's never a bad thing to ask for help when it comes to making that decision, uh, especially if you're not sure about it. And when it comes to flying, there's a ton of factors that can affect our decision-making process. It's important to weigh all these factors before committing to a flight, as you'd rather be on the ground wishing you're in the air than in the air wishing you're on the ground. And this decision-making process, something that's heavily emphasized in your flight training, it's called aeronautical decision-making. So let's say, for example, that you're a student pilot preparing for a solo cross-country flight, and you've planned out your route, you check the weather, gone over all your pre-flight checks, but you're getting ready to take off, and you notice that a little bit in the distance, the clouds are starting to get darker and more ominous. And at this point, you have to make that go or no-go decision. Do you want to take off as planned, or do you want to hold up until the weather clears off? And it can be a tough decision to make, but there are a few things that you should consider. So, Brandon, what would you tell your students to look for and look out for um, as the weather gets a little bit questionable? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that not just when the weather gets questionable, but when you want to go flying in general, uh, because you never know what's kind of a thousand feet in the air unless you double check, right? And double checking does not mean, hey, let's go take off and find out. There's other things to do before that. Um, so first off, be safe in general. Uh, make, make the right decisions before you go flying. That means doing some of the following. And like I said earlier, this is no means a complete list, but this is quite a few things that, that I do and I instruct my students to do. So I always check the morning news for weather. Watch your local channel one or channel three or seven or 11 or whatever channel it is in your area. Watch the morning news. Find out what the weather's going to be like. They're going to tell you a lot if it's, if it's really going to be all sunshine for the day or if there's going to be rain, clouds, snow, if it's going to be really cold, really hot. You're going to learn all that stuff just in five minutes on there. I look on my iPhone's uh, weather app too. It'll tell me, hey, what the temperature is going to be, what the dew point's going to be. Uh, it'll also tell me if it's going to rain or whatever it may be as well. So check your basic things first, because sometimes you'll look at the weather and be like, oh, it's pouring rain 90% all day or it's snowing. Well, guess what? You already know before doing any further research, if you're going flying or not, it turns into either a ground lesson or a sim lesson with your, with your instructor. By the way, if you've already scheduled the time to go fly um, and you can't and it gets canceled, don't scrub your day. Always, always, always go do ground or go do the simulator. One of the two. You may think it's a waste of time or a waste of money because I know I did when I was when I was a student, but it's not. It will reinforce everything that you do in the air. It's a lot cheaper to learn things on the ground than in, a, in an airplane. You're not burning any gas and that we all know how expensive that's been lately. The next thing is I always go to the Aviation Weather Center. Um, it's by the National Weather Service and NOAA. And the website is aviationweather.gov. And it's a really, really fantastic website. It tells you everything about aviation weather, 
I mean, from METARs to TAFs to PIREPs, SIGMETs, AIRMETs, PROG charts, you name it. Some things I check, because I check the METAR if I'm about to go fly right away. Um, I check the TAF, which tells us the, the forecast in the future. I check the PROG chart, so I can kind of know if there's going to be some extraneous winds or anything that are going to be coming my way. It's going to tell you a lot about the, the pressure and the atmosphere and stuff as well. I always check icing levels. That's one of my most important things that I check. Uh, even if it's a if it's a clear day, icing levels don't matter. But uh, if it's there's any precipitation there, which are clouds, some moisture in the air, and you're going to go fly IFR or, hey, there's a potential that you could accidentally uh, end up in a cloud. You want to know where those clouds are and what the icing level is, et cetera. So you want to make sure that you stay away from in-flight icing unless your airplane's equipped to do so, obviously. Uh, you want to know what the winds aloft are. Hey, when you go up in the air, are you going to be able to take an airplane uh, like a 172? And are you able to go fly backwards? By the way, there's people that do it. Um, the slowest I've ever gotten is going five knots ground speed in a 172. And uh, I did that through uh, through the Banning Pass, actually. You just slow down the airplane. But I've seen people go negative ground speed and literally fly backwards. It's it's fun to kind of see how slow you can go. Everyone wants to go faster. No one ever wants to kind of act like they're a helicopter, which is kind of neat uh, in an airplane. And then you can also use ForeFlight to obtain all of that data. Uh, ForeFlight kind of shows you all of that. Just if you click the airport and you go into the details, or you go into the weather section, you can see almost all that data kind of at a glance. So I like going on there too. I probably check ForeFlight quicker than I would Aviation Weather Center or aviationweather.gov. Uh, but I use both. Uh, primarily I use Aviation Weather Center with students because it's a bigger screen on a big TV in my office. Uh, but if it's just, uh, if it's just something I want to check for myself, I'll probably just check on my phone. Um, or, or both. Uh, make sure you get your ATIS uh, before you go take off or your ASOS before you take off. You can also call those. A lot of them have phone numbers you can call. Um, call a briefer, 1-800-WX-BRIEF. Uh, or you can do it the, the new school way that I think Carson uses, and that's go to the, the 1-800-WX-BRIEF.com. No, I like talking to them. They always give me better information. I'm able to ask questions because sometimes I don't know what they're trying to say uh, on the when you get that printout, the PDF version. Yeah, I like talking to him. Okay. Well, I guess Carson's not as new school as I thought he was. But um, I know a lot of instructors teach to go on the website. I'm the same way. I kind of like going and talking to somebody if I'm really kind of curious about the weather. Also, ForeFlight has a way that you can file uh, you can file your flight plan, and then you can actually have it get pulled up, and it gives you a full briefing on ForeFlight. So you can go through everything that one entire WX brief would do um, or what the briefer would do. And it shows it to you in charts and it's like 20 or 40 pages. It, it kind of depends on the day and how far your cross country is, stuff like that. But, but you can go on there and, and, uh, and check that out as well. Um, additionally, do anything that your CFI tells you to do. I mean, by all means, everything I said right now is not, is not the end all be all of, uh, of checking weather and checking things before your flight. Uh, also, um, in, you can do some stuff like in-flight as well. If you're already flying and you see some weather changing, you can do, do things like calling a uh, flight service station, or you can ask the controller that you're talking to on flight following for more information uh, on local PIREPs given by other airplanes in that area, um, or just the weather in general. Now, the flight service station can give you more complete and, and available information, when you're talking to uh, just a, a controller on flight following, it's going to be limited by what information they have at their disposal, as well as if they even have time to help you with it. Because if you're on VFR or if you're flying VFR and you're talking to a controller, they don't 
have to talk to you. They're doing that as a service uh, in general for you. Uh, now, when you're flying IFR, that's really what they're there for. So um, it depends on if they're going to be able to give you that information or not. But uh, but yeah, so those are kind of the main weather items that I always check. Yeah, there's a lot to checking weather and pretty much before long flights, I, I usually check all those um, as much as I am a, a child in the gentle line, as my instructor liked to say. <laughs> uh, I end up not using ForeFlight that much for weather. I end up usually going from the weather app on my iPhone straight to Aviation Weather Center to to go plan a flight. It just has so many other services on there. And aside from just what's happening up on the sky, uh, you should consider the condition of the aircraft. Is everything in good working order? Are there any issues that could potentially cause problems during the flight? And if you have any doubts at all about the aircraft's ability to complete that flight safely, it's definitely best to delay those uh, that flight until those issues can be addressed. And some of them can be addressed on the spot. Some are even be able to be addressed by you as the pilot uh, or the owner or operator. And when you think of issues with the plane, you might think it's not starting or has low oil pressure or high oil temperature, usually stuff with the engine. Um, that's usually the, the main concern. But things that you should also check and just might not think about is something like, is the plexiglass in my windshield cracked or foggy? Uh, I flew an airplane that had plexiglass. It was so bad that I was going directly west, landing on uh, runway 27 at Riverside. It was about 5 p.m. just when that sun was in that perfectly wrong spot. And it led to a glare on it that I could hardly see the runway through. Um, it just hit every little crack in that in that windshield. And um, it's just a problem that you don't want to have when you go up in the air. So just not ideal. And another thing that you want to keep in mind is tire tread. So should you go land on a wet runway after it just finished raining and you have bald spots all over your tires? Probably not. And it's just a small thing. It's not something that is typically an, an issue, especially on a you know nice summer day where it's nice and sunny. But on these rainy days, anytime there's weather, you have to be a little more conscientious of all the issues that happen with an airplane they might not think about. Uh, another one that I always check is if there's enough air and oil in my struts. And if that strut extension is too low, my prop is closer to the ground. And that's a recipe for just one hard landing away from a prop strike. So one of the things I learned uh, when I first started pre-flighting airplane was going up to my front strut and putting three fingers on it just to make sure I have enough space. And that's just a small way to measure. Definitely not the best way. There could be better. But just a little way to ensure that you have enough air in there. And ultimately, the airplane that you're flying needs to be in a great condition to fly. But the little details like your windows, treads, struts can also play a part in making that go or no-go decision. And again, that go and no-go decision also comes into play in route. So when you're deciding if you can land or if you want to land there um, or if you need to divert to another airport. And that's just times that you have to make that decision. It's not just about going up in the air. It's also about coming down and coming down the right spot. So, Brandon, I know that you've flown so much. You have to have made change of plans several times uh, in the air. So what goes through your head when you make that decision? Well, there's a lot of things that go through my head uh, when I'm flying and and I'm always thinking about something. Uh, hopefully, it's always on the airplane and not something else, right? Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to affect you while you're while you're flying, and and I'm glad you mentioned several of those items, like making sure that your strut had air and oil, and and essentially what he what he's talking about is make sure you do a proper pre-flight, make sure the airplane is in airworthy condition, and not just air airworthy condition in an airworthy condition you accept, um, because there's a lot of people whose airplanes you'll fly that are your friend's airplanes and they'll have foggy windows just like like Carson's friend's airplane that he flew that day you never know uh what you will experience in flight honestly that 
that windshield that he had was in airworthy condition technically. But I'll tell you this, it probably wasn't a great airplane to go fly considering he couldn't see out of the windshield. And it was enough of a problem that, that uh, he had dealt with enough times that he ended up actually just getting that windshield replaced altogether. I, I was in the maintenance shop actually when they took it off. I was with Rich at Kavu and took it off and uh, just saw how, how bad it was and how much of a difference it made putting the new one on there. It was a small thing. It took the whole day maybe to replace it. And just like that, it's in airworthy condition again and a condition that I accepted. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I I know he, uh, he did end up fixing that windshield and uh, it was, it was needed for sure. But some other things that you want to check is you want to check minimums. Uh, so not just minimums for the FAA minimums, like uh, VFR and IFR weather minimums or fuel minimums for IFR and VFR. You also want to check what your minimums are or what my minimums are. Uh, and honestly, I've been asked that question so many times and I feel like uh, DPs might ask that question. There are, there's instructors that ask that of their students. Honestly, I've never heard that question asked in the right way, to be honest. No one ever asked it in the right way because the right answer for a really experienced pilot, they say that their minimums change on almost every flight they do. And uh, mostly because they fly so many different types of airplanes. Honestly, if you're, if you just fly one type of airplane all the time, your minimums might be the same, but uh, my minimums change every time I go fly. I'll tell you this, my minimums in the Icon, uh, which I don't have that much time in compared to like a 172, my minimums in a 172 are, uh, I mean, almost unlimited. It's it's whatever the airplane can handle. I can handle in a 172. In the Icon, I can handle, I found out I can handle like 45 knot gust apparently from that one, one trip I had when I was ferrying it back home. But that wasn't something I would have went and flown in. It's something that I had to fly in because I had to land. Um, so my minimums change in every airplane I fly. And I'll tell you this, uh, when I go fly like an Aerostar, which I only have, I don't know, probably 75 hours in or so, my minimums are a lot higher. Um, now I'll go fly IFR in that airplane. Um, I'll fly several, several things, but I want higher minimums for IFR. I don't want to fly it down to, to bare minimums, uh, because things are just happening so quickly in faster airplanes. Uh, so my minimums change with every airplane I fly and it's not just airplane, uh, it's or it's not just like type of airplane. It's actually like tail number airplane, because if I fly an airplane that has a G 1000 in it, uh, I can fly a G 1000 airplane. I've flown several of them, but I don't have a ton of G 1000 time. I do have a ton of G 500 or G 600 time, um, which is just a different screen version. And it basically shows the information in the same way, except for the comms are set up slightly differently. So if it has a different radios from 172 to another, are the radios different? I'll tell you this. When I'm flying like an Avidine system, I am not very proficient on Avidine system. I I don't have very many hours using Avidine um, 400s or 600s or whatever systems they are. Uh, I do have a lot of time with uh, Garmin 430 WAS, 530 WAS, 750, 650s, things like that. I have a lot of time with those types of avionics and also even the old ones, uh, the old King radios and uh, Bendix, all, all the different kinds. Uh, but... There's some that I, I'm better with than others. So make sure that you you check and see what you're comfortable with because ultimately that can be an go or no-go decision. If you're going to go fly your friend's airplane, they threw you the keys because you got a ton of 172 time, but you've never flown a G1000 before, don't go do that. So that's why my minimums change. My Like I was saying earlier about the weather minimums, they change too. Now, the FAA minimums, things like that, those matter uh, immensely as well, obviously. Did you check to see if the airport's open? Um, are there any no temps? Uh, what's the weather like? 
I remember coming into uh, Riverside and it was unexpected, uh, but they had a power outage from a fire next to the control tower. And I was in the air at the time. I just was on like a, a little flight around uh, around locally. And then all of a sudden, there's no radio, no communication, no nothing. And what what did I do? I went over and I tried to, uh, tried to land and I don't even see light gun signals. I don't see anything. So all the people that were in the air ended up just, I don't know, turning it into a uh, uncontrolled tower. And, uh, and this was in the middle of the day and we all, everyone landed safely. Tower got back up. I think the next day it took like 24 hours to even get like a backup system. Uh, Carson signaling to me, it took two days, uh, for that to reopen, but they couldn't broadcast ATIS. They couldn't do anything. Uh, so you also need to know, like, if you're in the air, go, no, go. Like, am I going to go back to that airport? Am I comfortable with that? If they have no radios all of a sudden, like, what do I do in that situation? Um, or am I going to divert somewhere else? Uh, how am I going to handle that? So make sure that you you think about your go, no-go decisions, even in the air. Uh, do you go to that airport? Do you not go to that airport? Do you go to, to something more local? Uh, so those are some ideas that I like to think about when I'm flying and before I'm flying. But essentially, just do the basic things. Go check all your weather. Make sure that, that you're going to be safe on your route of flight. Uh, go check your airport's information, including the weather. Make sure that um, there's no runways that are closed or anything that's going to impede you. And then just be re- be ready for the unexpected because we're flying airplanes. Everything's going to be unexpected, right? Uh, we don't know what's going to happen after we take off. We have a plan for it, but we also need to have a plan B, C, D, E, F, and all the way to Z if we need one uh, to make sure that we we arrive safe. Um, we all we all know when whenever we get on a big airplane uh, going going somewhere like a, I was just on a triple seven the other day, and I guarantee. They've got multiple, multiple backup systems um, that are redundant on each other because they have to be. And if they have a cascading failure, they can go all the way to plan Z and, uh, and, and make it home safely. So just keep that going. Yeah, just having a backup, having extra plans, just planning for something that goes wrong. It all comes back to safety and planning for the worst case scenario and hoping for the best case scenario. And when you're a student pilot questioning and uh, asking that question, is it okay to go? Should I go? absolutely okay to ask. And while your CFI definitely wants you to practice figuring out the answer on your own and to make that decision on your own, um, and he'll check the answer, but it really falls on them and what they're comfortable with. And once you have a private pilot license, it is completely on you to make that safe decision to go or not go. And while you can't ask for help, it's still up to you if you're going to hop in that airplane by yourself or with other passengers and make the decision. So I was used to asking that question as a student pilot, and I kept asking it after I got my private, but the answer started to change. Brandon went from saying, what do you think, to you're a private pilot, you can figure it out. And of course, he would stop me before I did something I shouldn't do, because as they say, a new private pilot is the most dangerous one in the sky. Um, Being a private pilot or above, the decision to go or not go, it's on your shoulders, and there's a lot to consider to keep you and your passengers safe. We hope you guys got a lot out of today. I know I had fun talking about some of these go, no go decisions. I know that uh, I wanted to go fly my, my new tail wheel today and uh, the weather outside just told me, nope, you can't go. So I've decided it's a no go for me today. So I hope you guys make the right decision in the future and, uh, and happy flying. And as always, if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us at Twitter or Instagram. My handle is at Mr. Martini guy, or you can reach Carson at Carson underscore AV 17. And as a wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See you.